So I got to thinking today um, about something, and that is promises. And that may be a series that we're about to do. Uh, I'm not sure, but we're definitely at least going to do uh, one sermon series on promises, and that'll be tonight. So we'll see how far it goes. We'll see how many how many weeks this continues for. But for now, I'm calling this series Promises. And oftentimes, uh, we think about the promises of God, right? So we talk, people talk a lot about the promises of God. And I think that they don't really necessarily, <laughs> they don't necessarily talk about the promises of God in the way that God talks about the promises of God. Uh, people oftentimes, well, they say, man, I'm standing on the promises of God. That means that I'm going to be cured of my illnesses, that I'm going uh, to have relationships in my life to be mended. I'm standing on those promises. And the reality is that is not the promises of God. The promises of God is that his people will be sustained, that he will bless his people uh, for all of eternity, and that will come through the person of Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about the promises of God tonight. So and we're going to talk about how they start in the person of Abraham. And God makes a covenant with Abraham, who we call the father of our faith, right? So there are three major religions of the world that, that attribute the beginnings of their faith all the way back to this person of Abraham, right? So he's, he's kind of a big deal if you're talking in religious terms. Abraham's a big deal. One thing I know about promises is that they are a big deal. Um, I try my very best. I try my very best to never make a promise to Cassidy. I do not, I do not think that I'll be able to keep. Um, I, I, I tell her only the things I say, if I make a promise to her, she knows that I, I will go to the ends of myself to make that happen. Uh, I believe very strongly in being a person that keeps your promises. Um, I, I, I mistakenly uh, probably, uh, this was probably about two years ago, made a promise to her that I look back now and I go, I don't know if I could keep this one. I told her if she made a 36 on her ACT, that I would buy UAB for her. So um, I was, uh, that was a motivation, you know, that, that, you know, that I wanted her to really do well on the ACT. And, and if she did that, if she made a perfect score on the ACT, then I would buy UAB for her, which doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense because I was encouraging her to get a good scholarship to go to UAB, but yet I was going to purchase the school for her. So it didn't make a lot of sense, but I was trying my best to encourage her to do well on the ACT. Uh, unfortunately, I think that I probably, if she had made that 36 on the ACT, I don't know if I'd have been able to follow through on buying UAB for her. Now, I, I told her later, I was like, well, maybe I could get you like one of those little bricks, you know, with your name inscribed on there or something. We can buy a little piece of UAB, maybe like four square inches of UAB or something like that. Uh, but anyway, so promises are a big deal. Has anybody ever had a promise that wasn't kept to them and you still remember it to this day? Um, anybody ha had something like that ever happen to them? Somebody made a pro Okay, only two people. All right, that's good. So only two people can identify with what I'm talking about here. Uh, somebody makes a promise to you, and, and you, you still remember to this day. They broke their promise to me. I remember what they did. Promises are big deals, right? When we talk about the promises of God, we, 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 we know that they're a big deal because when God makes a promise, he keeps his promises, right? So tonight we want to talk about those promises that God made and how he made them through the person of Abraham and what that looked like. Now, if you ever read scripture, you know that you start off in the beginning of the Bible, and you start reading through Genesis, which is where everybody tends to start. If they've never read the Bible before, I'll start in Genesis, and I'll just figure it out as I go. Um, let me tell you something. If you're a new believer, I don't recommend you start in Genesis. It will probably confuse you. 
Um, there are some good stuff. There are some good things that you should know in Genesis, and it's great to know the stuff that's in Genesis, but if you're a new believer, that's not a good place for you to start. Uh, we'll see a little bit of that tonight, and you'll be like, whoa, hang on a second. Uh, he starts talking about get a heifer and some turtle doves, and we're going to cut them in half, and you're like, whoa, hang on. That's a little too deep for me right now. I need, I need to start off a little simpler than that. So uh, we're going to be starting in Genesis chapter 12 tonight. We're just going to be talking about some of the things that we see through there. Uh, but if you know anything, if you started reading in Genesis, you know that Abraham, before he was called Abraham, was called Abram, right? So we're going to start talking about Abraham uh, as he's called Abram in uh, Genesis chapter 11. We're going to start a few verses before chapter 12. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 11, beginning of verse 31. It says, One day Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarai, who we know later becomes Sarah, his, his son Abram's wife, and his grandson Lot, his son Haran's child, and moved from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran and settled there. Terah lived for 205 years and died while still in Haran. Okay, all right, so we got this family of people, we got a dad, we got a son, his daughter-in-law, and we got the grandson, um, and, and they're all heading out, Lot is the grandson, they're all heading out and they're going for uh, the, the land of Canaan, but they stop short and they stop uh, in Haran and they stay there, and Terah, he, he, you know, he grows to the ripe old age of 205, you know, so he's getting on up there, um, he's doing well, he's eating the right foods, he's exercising, so he... He lives to 205. He's, he's doing well, I think. Maybe we can learn some stuff from there. Um, so he lives to be at 205, and then, um, and then we see something happens here. In, in Genesis chapter 12, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who, who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. So what, what's happening here? God tells Abram, he says, I want you to leave everything that you know. Have you ever uh, walked around in the dark? <laughs> it's kind of frightening, am, am I right? Like if you don't know where you're going... And it's a foreign place, and you're walking around in the dark. It's a little frightening. Um, you ever been in a huge, empty building at nighttime with all the lights turned off? It's, it's, it's a little weird. Um, uh, we, we used to, to do that, and, and it doesn't really bother me so much now. It used to bother me when I was younger. I can remember in my own house when the lights would be turned off, and I would have to get up in the middle of the night to maybe go get something to drink or go get milk or something to eat or whatever, I would like sprint through the house, open the refrigerator, and then sprint right back as fast as I could because I assumed that the boogeyman was lurking somewhere in the dark and that he was going to grab me, right? <laughs> You're laughing, but you know that I'm right. And some of you are 17, 18, 19 years old, and you still run through the house like that. So, um, but it's, it's, it's scary when you're in the dark and you don't know where you're going, right? Well, here, God is telling Abram, leave your father's family, Leave the country that you're used to and just follow me into the darkness. He doesn't tell him where he's going. He doesn't tell him anything except, you know what, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed. Some of us in this place, we really...
really struggle with this idea of following God in faith when he says go. Am I right? So God makes a promise to us. You're going to be blessed if you do what I say. And you go, "Mm, I'm not real sure because it's dark and it's scary out there. And I don't know which way I'm going. You just tell me to go. And here I am. Mm, I'm not really sure. I, I don't know where I'm going. If you could just maybe lay things out a little bit for me. If you could just show me five, six, seven, eight years down the road, that would be really great. Even if I can't see the next one or two years, if you could just show me kind of what's at the end of the road, then I'll be good. But here, Abram's not given anything. God talks to him and says, you know what, I want you to leave what's comfortable to you, what you're used to. I want you to go with me. Now notice something here. Where was his family originally headed to? Canaan, right? That's where they were originally going to. Terah was, was headed to, to Canaan, but they stopped in Haran, and that's where he ended up dying, right? Well, here, God is going to take Abram all the way to Canaan, right? So he's going to take him all the way. Sometimes this is what happens in our lives, that as Christians, we go about halfway and we stop. We don't necessarily go all the way. We end up, and, and, and maybe it's for family reasons, and maybe it's because, you know, somebody else has led us to this part, but God has now taken Abram all the way, right? You in your life, you're going to have times in your life where God's going to call you to do something. I believe that about every Christian. If you're not a Christian, I'm not really talking to you, but if you're a Christian, I'm telling you, there will be things that God will call you to do in your life, places God will take you in your life, that are going to require you to use this thing in your life called faith. If you're a Christian, that means you have faith. Faith is what you believe to be true about God. It is to, to believe the promises of God. You have to put all of your faith into believing that God knows what is going to happen. That in His wisdom, in His understanding, you trust that He says who He that He is who He says He is. And that he knows what the end of the road looks like, even though you don't. And you put your faith in him. You put your faith in him leading you down the path. You put your faith in him in this way. Think about it in these terms. God says, follow me through the darkness. You don't know where you're going. Imagine yourself as somebody who has, or is visually impaired and you can't see. And you just grab somebody by the hand, right? Cassie, when she went to her camp where she was uh, down in North Florida and she was uh, down there with kids that are visually impaired, they had things where they would do and they would try to lead them through the woods and, 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 uh, and, and they would try to learn what it was like to walk through the woods without being able to see and all of these kinds of things. And it's very difficult to do, but when you have somebody who is, who is guiding you that is sighted that can actually see, they can lead you a lot better, right? Well, we have to rely on the sight of God, on the, on the vision of God, on the direction of God, that he's going to tell us, step here, step there, watch out for this. Trust me that you want to take a left right here instead of a right because you're going to run into a tree. I mean, really, that is why it is so important in your lives to be so tuned in to the, to the voice of God that we're listening to his voice as he tells us to take those steps in our lives because he's leading us through the darkness. God, I mean, we always say, you know what, God's got a plan for my life. 
And I believe that and I trust that. If that is really the case, if you really believe that God has a plan for your life, a direction for your life, and he's leading you through the darkness, you've got to be tuned into his voice. It blows my mind how people will say, man, I know God's got a plan for my life. When's the last time you've been to church? Well, about three months ago. When's the last time you read God's word? Well, it's been about six weeks ago. When's the last time you prayed to God and just listened to God and and followed his direction for your life? Well, it's been about two months ago. So God has a plan for your life. He's guiding your steps. He's directing your path. And yet you never talk to him and you never listen to him. Okay. I'm not really sure how that works out. See, we want to we want to rely on some of that without doing our part, right? Without doing our, our faith part, which is to trust him and to listen to him and to tune into his voice. And here we've got Abram that's being called by God to go. And he says, I'm gonna give you land, I'm gonna make you into a great nation. And I'm going to bless you. So there are three pieces to this promise that Abram, that God makes with Abram. There there are three big pieces to this. There is land. There is physical uh, place. There are people, which is the nation. And then there is blessing. And that's this threefold promise of God that he gives to Abram right here. Now he's going to seal that promise in Genesis chapter 15, which is what we're going to look at next. He's going to seal that promise with him through what's called a covenant. He's going to make a covenant with him. I, think, I want you to remember this, because this is fundamental to your understanding about who we are and what we believe. Abram and this threefold promise from God, a place, a people, and a blessing. So what does Abram do? So Abram departed as the Lord instructed and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people uh, he had taken into his household at Haran and headed for the land of Canaan. And when they arrived at Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. And there he set up camp beside an oak of Morah. At that time, the area was inhabited by the Canaanites. So not only is Abram following God away from everything that he is used to, you see, being close to your family and being, being close to the, to the, to the land that, that you are used to was very important to people back then because, you know, we talk about this a lot. Familiarity is very comfortable to us. God's calling him to an uncomfortable place. And when he gets there to this place that God is taking him to, what does he find? He finds the enemy. Oh, great. God, that's awesome. So here, I follow you in faith. I follow you where you have called me to do. I've exercised my faith in that I've let you lead me by the hand through the darkness. We get here, and what do I find? I I don't find blessing. I find the enemy. Well, that's no good. What do most of us do? What most of us most of us do when we run into the enemy, when we get to this place that we think God has delivered us to? I mean, we find opposition there. We go, oh, I'm going back. I, I had enough of this. This faith thing, it didn't lead me anywhere. All it did was lead me right into the hands of the enemy. I don't want to stay there. All it did was lead me into opposition, and I'm following you, God? No, I don't think so. 
God has promised land, he's promised a great nation, and he's promised blessing. And here, as soon as he gets there, what does he find? He finds opposition. Is that reason in our lives to turn back? Is that reason in our lives to give up and say, God, I can already tell you're not fulfilling your promises. I can already tell that you're going back on what you promised. I can already tell that it's not going to happen. Isn't that what we do when we face opposition? We start doubting God, don't we? We start saying, I don't know if you were really sure, or maybe you didn't, maybe I didn't hear you right. Because it looks like there's a closed door here. Therefore, it must not be God's will. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Let me tell you something about, about what I've found to be true about God's will, at least in my life. Um, it's hard. That's, that's my answer. It's hard. It's not easy. Here at Simple Church, we have this little phrase that's even on our blue shirts. Simple does not equal to easy. It's very simple to say, I'm going to follow God. It's very hard to do it. It's very hard to do it. Because you know what? You're going to run into opposition when you do it. It's going to be difficult, and it's not going to be easy. But we use that so many times as an excuse to turn back. Do you know how you defeat that? Do you know how you, know how you overcome that? It's, <laughs> I almost say some stuff, and it's going to continue to sound ridiculously simple, but we obviously don't listen to it. You know how you combat dealing with the opposition that you seem to be facing as you have followed God in faith to the place that he has called you to be? You continue to listen to God, and you don't doubt God. You say, God, I believe full, fully in my heart that I followed you in faith to the place that you've called me to be, and I believe fully that you'll give me victory in the place that you've called me to have victory. You've promised us this land, and here he comes to the area that's already inhabited by Canaanites. If I am Abraham, I'm going, man, I really thought it would have been empty. I really thought it would have been a really pretty place, and it would have been empty, and we could have just set up camp there. It's not exactly how it always works, though. Why is that? I'll just kind of, this occurred to me, and I need to pause here and say, well, why is that? You're following in faith. You get there, a destination, you meet opposition. What, what's God doing there? He's not just taking you to a place. He's changing who you are and shaping you and molding you and transforming you in the process. See, that's why we, we look at something that's hard, we look at something that's difficult, and then we want to back away from it. It's because we don't like change. We don't like to be shaped and molded and transformed. It feels scary. It feels different to us. We like to be the way that we always were. And here, what is God doing in Abram's life? He's not just taking him to a place. He's making him into a new person. As you follow God in faith, let me tell you something. He will mold you and shape you into who he wants you to be so that you're prepared to be at the place where he's called you to be. And yes, it will be difficult, and yes, it will be painful, and yes, you will be transformed, and yes, it will be uncomfortable. All of those things. Man, this doesn't sound like good news, does it? We, we, we rest on those promises of God, but man, we don't want to 
we don't want to go any, through anything difficult in order to be able to, 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 to show that we actually trust in those promises, right? We just want to have the promises and latch on to them and everything be easy. What, what good is a promise if you never have to rely on it? What good is a promise if you never have to depend on what somebody said to be true? What good is a promise if it's, it, it doesn't matter to you? God has made these promises. He's taking you, transforming you, and he's showing you that his promises are real, and you're going to have to depend on him to believe in those promises, right? So he meets up with some Canaanites, and then the Lord said, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abraham built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who, who had appeared to him. Now, he said, the Lord said to Abram, I will give this land to your descendants. The people that are going to come after you, Abram. Like I would have been going, hey, God. Hey, man, I really thought you were going to give this to me. I followed you in faith, and here you are telling me it's about my descendants. It's about the future. It's about what's to come, and it's not really a, about me. That's a hard truth, too, right? The, the truth, the promise that, that, that God had given to Abram was that, that his descendants would be a great nation, that he, he would be part of a great nation. How often do we often we just often want it to be about us and we want God to bless us and, and we're like, man, you know what? I just I want to get what I deserve right now. And God's like, man, I'm doing something through your entire family. And it may not be that, that you'll see it in your lifetime or your children's lifetime or your great grandchildren's lifetime, but I'm doing a great work and I have promises that I'm giving to you. Just because you don't see it in your lifetime doesn't mean that they're not promises that are true. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. After that, Abram traveled south to set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to his west and Ai to the east. There he built an altar and dedicated it to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord. Once again, worshiping, worshiping. I think this is key to him following the Lord as he's worshiping as he goes. And Abram continued traveling south by, by stages toward the Negev. Look at what it says in verse 10 of chapter 12. It says, At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abraham to go down to Egypt, where he lived as a foreigner. God. I thought you said that you had given me this land. You thought I thought you said that this is what was going to happen. And here I can't even stay here because I can't even eat. Once again, struggle, difficulty, God shaping him, molding him. God does a great work through him. Um, what ends up happening, and I'll summarize for a little bit here, is he goes down to Egypt. It turns out, Abraham's a bit Abram's a bit of a liar. His uh, in case you're wondering, this this man of God, this following God in faith, counted his righteousness toward him because he followed God in faith. Now he gets to Egypt and he tells his wife Sarah, Hey, you're really hot, and if I take a hot lady as my wife down to Egypt, then they're gonna say, Let's kill that dude and we'll take his wife. Because the Egyptians aren't real cool like that, they just will kill you and take your wife. So Abram comes up with a great idea. So I tell you what, 
you just keep it on the DL that, that, that I'm like your husband, and I'll say that you're my sister, and we'll, we'll just pretend like we're brother and sister, and it'll all be good, and it'll be fine, and they won't kill me, and I like my head being attached at the shoulder, so we'll just keep it that way, right? What a coward, man. I'm like, come on, Abram. So, he's not a perfect guy, right? And what ends up happening? It even goes on to tell us, I mean, so, so Abram, it, it's, it's kind of it's weird, but Abram receives blessing through Pharaoh because his wife is really hot, who everybody thinks is his sister. And then uh, Pharaoh ends up taking her as his wife. Ooh, why, sound like a soap opera, right? So, like, things are getting all twisted. Like, Pharaoh takes her as his wife, and then famine starts to, to or, or, or plague starts to strike Pharaoh's household because now Sarah is his wife and God basically enacts plague on Pharaoh. This is not Moses' plague, okay? That's not what we're talking about here, but, but like it gets really bad for Pharaoh and Pharaoh brings Abram in and says, dude, what have you done to me? You told me this was your sister. Turns out you lied. Now I'm in trouble with God. Get your junk and go. That's what he says. He says, take Take, take your junk and leave and get out of here. Take, take your wife slash sister and get out of this place, you know? Like, like you're, you're wrecking my life and, and you need to just head out. And that's what ends up happening in Egypt. And that's, that's a kind of a short synopsis of what happens in a 20th century version, right? So that, that's basically what happens in Egypt. And then there's lots of things that go on between you know Abram and Lot and they start having shepherds and stuff and they, the shepherds start fighting over you know, who, who, sh- who should be here and who should be there. And they got lots of flock of sheep and shepherds are bickering. And they're like, okay, Abram's like, you can go to the right or to the left. And if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. And if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And we'll just divide it up and it'll all be good, right? So a lot of things happen there. And uh, a lot ends up going and hanging out with some, some bad folks. And uh, one thing leads to another. Abram has to come and rescue Lot and all this kind of stuff. And then we find ourselves in, in chapter 15, which is kind of where I wanted to go to talk about God sealing his promise with Abram. It says sometime later, so in the future, so fast forward. One, two, skip a few, 99, 100. In Genesis chapter 15, we read, Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, Anytime you see but, it's like, oh, man, God makes a promise. God tells you something, and then he says, but Abram. It's almost like God's word says, but Abram was being stupid and said this. It says, but Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? He says, you're going to bless me, and I don't even have a kid. How is this going to happen? Since you have given me no children... Eliezer of Damascus, a servant of my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Well, what happens? Abram, I mean, you, you, think, you think Abram and Sarai were trying to have kids? Probably, right? I mean, they were probably trying, you know. He's going to be a father of many nations and, and all this, and he's going to have lots of descendants and you know they meet more opposition like how's this supposed to happen because you know if 
I'm going to have a great nation and we're going to receive blessing and all this. Like, I can't even have a kid. How's, how's that going to start? And we see in, in, in Genesis chapter 17, going on over to 18, uh, how they, you know, Abram and Sarai, they start to take things into their own hands and start to, to have a kid and, and all this kind of stuff, not doing it the way God had called them to do and going through it. Uh, uh, Sarah's servant, and, and everything gets kind of messed up there for a little while, right? Another way in which Abram is not a perfect dude, you know? Uh, Sarah has not got perfect faith, obviously. She's, she's kind of messed up there. But what's happening here is that, that Abram is starting to doubt God a little bit. Even though God has said this, Abram still doubts him, which is something that we all do, regardless of how strong we may claim to be in our faith there are times when our faith wanes and there are times when we doubt god then the lord said to him no your servant will not be your heir abram you got it wrong dude for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir then the lord took abram outside and took him look up into the sky and count the stars if you can now could he count the stars obviously not it would take him a while Especially back in those days, there's not a lot of city lights, so he's probably going to see a lot of stars. Can he one, two? Probably not. He says, you see all of that? He says, that's how many descendants you will have. He says, Abram, I told you that, that the great nation's going to come from you, and you wonder and you question, and here I am, I'm telling you, I'm showing you physically. Just look up in the sky, and you can see the brilliance of the stars, and you can't even count them, and that's what your descendants are going to look like. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. And the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of, our, of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possessions. But Abram replied, oh, sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? The Lord said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram uh, presented all these things to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid their halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. As the sun was going down, it's getting dark, right? The sun's going down. I think this is a perfect picture of kind of darkness. It even says darkness here in just a second. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came down over him. And the Lord said to him, Abram. I think this darkness, I think, you know, I said it just a second ago, man, that's, that's what faith looks like, grabbing God by the hand in the middle of the darkness and letting him lead you. As the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for, sorry, I jumped ahead. No, I did not. Okay. You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land. They will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. In the end, you will come away with great wealth. As for you, it will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land. For the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. After the sun went down, the darkness fell. Abram saw a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram. That, that day and said, I have given, given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the Euphrates and now the land occupied by the Canaanites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rhaites, 
the Amorites, Canaanites, Gerasites, and Jebusites. There's a lot of ites there, right? This is what he says. All right, so what's happening here is this is the covenant, right? This is the promise. This is where God seals the promise. And what you've got to understand here is that, that this, this, this is the real deal for Abram. When you make a covenant with somebody, this is what you're basically saying. We're going to cut these in half, and we're going to pass between them. And if we fail to commit on our promises, we fail to deliver on our promises, then may we be like the carcasses that are cut on either side of us. May we be like them. May we be cut in the middle is basically what you're saying when you make a covenant with somebody. And here, here, notice Abram falls asleep. And who goes through the middle of the carcasses? God does. God does. You know why? It's because God's responsible. God's saying, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to be the one that's going to keep my promise. I'm going to be the one that's going to continue to make sure that you are a great people with a great land with great blessing. That's going to be my promise. So now, where does that leave us? Everybody's like, okay, great. That's great information about Abraham or Abram, as we call him in this passage. The good news for us is this. God starts giving little glimpses into the future. And those nations that he's talking about, that's us. We're part of that nation, that nation of blessing. We're part of that nation that God's talking about there. See, that came through the person of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus, uh, he, he, he basically said, you know what? All that you think that are just for the people of Israel, I'm going to die for everybody in the entire world. If they put their faith in me, then they'll part, be part of this nation of Israel that re is to receive the blessing of God. There were little hints to this throughout Scripture. You remember Rahab at Jericho? She wasn't an Israelite, right? But she got incorporated into the family of Israel because she had great faith in God, right? And then God even shows his mercy and his grace to people like the Ninevites when he sends somebody like Jonah out to preach the repentance to them and tell them, you got to turn from your wicked ways and turn towards God. Stop doing what you're doing. And God's showing little glimpses of his grace and his mercy and the fact that everybody is to be included into this nation that's going to receive great blessing. In Matthew chapter 28, what does it say? All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of each and every person in every nation, right? Teaching them whatsoever I have told you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like we're part of that nation. That nation that is supposed to receive those promises, receive those blessings that God has. What is that blessing? What is the blessing of God? It's a thing called grace. It's a thing called grace. The greatest blessing you could possibly have is, is the grace of God. The fact that you are condemned to hell because of your sin and your rebellion against God, and God looks on you with favor and says, this is my people. I'm going to make a way for them to be able to get through me, and I'm going to pay the price for everything they have done through my son, Jesus Christ. To think that blessing is something like great wealth or great health, prosperity, great fame, any of that, is absolutely a wrong way of thinking of blessing. Do you want to just be blessed for the next 80 years of your life? Or would you rather be blessed for all of eternity? 
I'll tell you what, you can take the 80 years, I'll take all of eternity. What a great blessing of God. The fact that he says, you know what, you can be part of my family. I made a way for you to be able to be part of my family. And this is what he goes on to say in the book of Revelation. That God will return to be with his family in a land that he has prepared for us. Because he has promised a land, right? This will be a land where he dwells with his people, where you will be in the, in the presence of God for all of eternity. Land, people, blessing. It's exactly the pattern you see all throughout Scripture. A place, a people, and a blessing. The good news is, here's the good news. You will face opposition. You will face difficulty. You will face enemies. You will face famine. But that doesn't remove the blessing. That doesn't remove the promise. That doesn't remove the promise of all eternity. You may suffer right now in this life with health difficulties, family struggles, broken relationships, friends that stab you in the back, all of those things, lost jobs, F's in school, all of those things. But it cannot remove the blessing of God. And that blessing of God is His grace bestowed upon each and every one of us through His Son, Jesus Christ, that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. And to be saved means that you will spend eternity in the presence of God, under the blessing of God, as a person of God, an heir to the throne of the King.